Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 1st of November 2012. For newcomers, help yourself to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll see other sites listed there. These are the official sites for downloads for free audio and they also have transcripts in English for print-up of a lot of the talks that I've given over the years. Uh, you can go into Alan Watt Sentinel.eu for transcripts in other languages. I always start off by saying this, and rather than pester you all the way through it with uh, sort of marketing ploys and so on, I just say that you are the audience that bring me to you, which is the absolute truth, and I don't get backed by advertisers or shares in companies that are selling you all kinds of gadgets and gizmos. And uh, so it's up to you, the listeners, to keep me going if you want to. And what I do is get an alternate spin on history, not by using any theory or conspiracies, but by using the actual books, mainly the books by the big boys themselves who planned this big society, uh, this great society, as I want to call it, the the time of transition, which we're going through now, the the, the, the century of change, the new world order. It's all the same thing because they give us all the terms. And I go through the history of the players who helped design your cultures step by step to bring you down until you have no culture left at all. Once you have that, then the state runs you and rules you because they take care of all the fallout. And it's still going on as fast as ever down to the bottom. And people don't realize there's been revolutionary forces at work for this for an awful, awful long time, taking over the whole world by the same system with a very high head, you might say. At the top of it, they came forth with foundations, which are tax-free foundations, which are run trillions of dollars a year to NGOs, which are all the approved NGOs, that is. You can't just become an NGO unless you go along with the whole kit and caboodle of the United Nations, every part of its agenda. And they then get all their documents into government circles to be signed, and your government sign them into law, and they affect all of you. We, we don't vote for, uh, for, treat, for these treaties. We don't vote for the NGOs. We don't vote for the foundations that finance the cash to them. Uh, we're run by a parallel government. So I go through this in my talks, as I say, and the big, the big names of the biggest foundations that came up with the plan and a lot of the players in it at the time, too, who spelled out the next century, which we're all going to live through, and the century to come as well. Nothing happens by chance in this system. So you can support me by buying the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and from the U.S. and Canada. Remember, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders, or you can use PayPal or send cash. Across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal, and straight nations are awfully, awfully welcome. Most folk truly are having so conditioned, scientifically conditioned, as Bertrand Russell said, that they'll never break out of their shell 
And you can tell the ones who are totally conditioned. These are the ones who will be voting from the age of uh, 20 or whatever up to the age of 60, always for the same party. And there's no point in even talking to them. You know that yourselves. They're fixed. It's like a religion to them. They've never really consciously thought through anything. They've ignored the things that their own parties have done, which are contrary to their beliefs. But they still go along with it, like my country, right or wrong sort of idea. And uh, that's total conditioning. Most of the public are the silent majority who don't think too much and too deeply about anything because social conditioning and is domestication. Therefore, they've been taught and trained the experts above them, special people who come out of special wombs, do all the big planning and work for the world, all the big problems you don't want to fill your little heads with, and you should leave it all to them so that you can go and play. They like their television, they like their routines, and that's how life really is today, folks. That's why it's so easy for massive organizations to massively change it so easily. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix, but it's true, most folk live in a dream, and they live in a form of almost semi-hypnosis all day long. Some children do that too, you see them staring at something, just staring at nothing in particular, and they're often in meditation of their own, that's a natural form of it, but it shouldn't last all the way through adulthood. Uh, most folk really are in a semi-hypnotic trance all the time. And reality and fiction are completely muddled up in their heads so much because they watch so much fiction uh, that they have a hard time dealing with reality. They've been damaged, in other words. And this isn't a happenstance thing because when you read the organizations that we're into, uh, like Delgado and many others who are into forms of mind controlling the public, I mean, Delgado, remembers believed that the average person had no personal right to have an opinion. Uh, then you understand what's happened to the people. Nothing happens by chance on a large scale. Nothing whatsoever happens by chance. Because we're the most studied species on the planet. We're constantly studied. Uh, it's the same with when, when, for instance, the males start to be going sterile suddenly after getting all the inoculations from the 50s onwards. It's been plummeting and plummeting. And uh, and big boys don't decry that there's some kind of uh, crisis about it. And that's the reason for that is that there's no crisis about it. It was planned that way. Or it would be a crisis, you see. Anything outside the control would be a crisis. So people live, as I say, in this socially indoctrinated system. And unfortunately, the social indoctrination in school is, is almost perfect. It was in Bertrand Russell's early days with his own private schools uh, in England, where he had the right to charter to experiment on children's minds and their sexuality at a very young age to see if they could prevent them from bonding by, by really pushing prepubertal intercourse and so on and promiscuity. That litter was used in the 60s to very good effect. So we're living through a planned society, a planned uh, world order. It's a standardized world system, if you notice. There's really no difference across the world. If you're against anything at all to do with United Nations agendas, and the UN itself is a front member for the Royal Institute for International Affairs, who set up in the first place, then they'll come down on you and bomb you into the dust, basically, and then put a central bank in. Then they bring in UNICEF from the United Nations, and then they actually rear a special young group to adulthood to be the first generation of government under the new system, 
That's how it's done. Under the guise of, of uh, revolutionary democracy, as the neocons tended to call it, Revolutionary democracy is simply going in uh, with peacekeepers to slaughter people into cooperating with your system. You see, things double speak. You see, and the whole world has to be standardised in many, many ways. Central banking system, the IMF, of course, for the debt, and everyone's reduced to a form of slavery. Middle classes are wiped out, even the lower middle classes as well. And it's happened, it's almost happened, uh, in some countries it's already happened, and the U.S. is going down and plummeting at the moment. But it's not finished yet, they've still got other taxes to bring in for the world taxes, like Britain and the whole of Europe have, and that's a value-added tax. Canada's already got it under the general sales tax. Mulroney was a prime minister at the time, and he said when, if he got it in politics, he wouldn't, he wouldn't put in the value-added tax, so he changed the name to the general sales tax, now it's a harmonized sales tax. So... That's an amazing amount of money when you think about it, because it isn't just a, an income tax or a purchase tax. It works in a different way. It's, and the government's never got enough money, as you well know. Supposing you gave them a thousand value-added taxes, it would never be enough, because they're supposedly spreading your wealth across the world into their corporations, which is set up across the whole planet, you see. But it says here, with the exception of the U.S., every country in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development has a value-added tax. Now, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development is a private organization, but it's signed into law. It works with your government and the IMF, and, and they have a, a person working for it directly in your government. Every government's got one. It was signed at the end of World War II under the United Nations. And they work with the IMF. It says the appeal of these taxes is that they have a broad base and they don't discourage investment. They can raise a lot of money without causing nearly as much economic damage as income taxes. So this is your promo for America. This is how they give their promo. It says they're also much harder to evade than sales taxes. And here's how they work. Businesses pay tax on their sales, less the cost of goods and services they bought. Working up the supply chain, the value-added tax is ultimately charged exactly once in the final price of goods and services sold to consumers. If you buy a sweater for $50, for instance, and the value-added tax is 10%, the price includes $5 of tax. Unlike a retail sales tax, payments are made by all the companies that added value along the way. In other words, from the from the, the shearing of the wool to, to the spinners of the wool, each time it moves, they get a cut of value-added tax, right? And it all ends up with the consumer at the end paying a lot as well. It says, unfortunately, the value-added tax hasn't been a central feature of most tax reform discussions and bipartisan plans, such as the one proposed by the commission led by Alan Simpson and Erskine Bowles, focused on expanding the personal income tax base while cutting rates so that more revenue could be collected without hurting the economy. The calculations seem to be that Americans were unlikely to accept an entirely new tax, so we should focus on making the income tax better, it says here. Well, forget all that, tweedledum and tweedledee stuff. The fact is... You only get that value-added tax. It's definitely coming. And uh, the, the U.S. is one of the only countries that's not paying it at the moment for the for the world society and the greater good and all that rubbish. And uh, and once it's in, they'll start at 5 10 15%. Some countries across Europe are paying 25% on food, everything, 25% extra for the value-added tax. So Americans should be very, very aware of what this con is all about. Once anything's on the book, remember, they can start jacking it up as many times as they want. And that's how, and once you've accepted it, most folks simply adapt to that. Oh, well, what can you do? What can you do? You know. So anyway, 
I'll put this link up tonight at CuttingThroughTheMeters.com. And another one, too, uh, this to do with um, the same thing. It says, GOP shocker value-added tax plank, it's called. And it goes through the same kind of thing. And then it goes through the hullabaloo about me dropping the income tax, yada, yada, yada. No, you won't drop the income tax because none of our countries dropped the income tax to put in the value tax. It's an extra tax on top of everything on all your purchases. Uh, I'm reading this because it's like a it's deja vu. You, you saw it all in Britain years ago and in France and in Germany and everywhere else, every country you went into. And here it is, same, same con, the way it's put over to the public to start. And... This article here is quite interesting because no one will care these days because everyone's so so contaminated, as Besmanov said. As I say, you've no idea that there's been a definite movement, organized movement, with big bureaucracies, by the way. This world government has big bureaucracies, each specialized in their own area. And they can work for 100 to 150 years, as long as it takes to get their, their whole way through, just altering culture along the way, generation by generation, and till they get exactly what they want. They almost have it. But what is it to do with the United Nations and also um, the Planned Parenthood, International Planned Parenthood, and uh, they're pushing the next part of their Sex for All Children agenda. It says uh, they're advocating the removal of laws allowing parental involvement in decisions. It says here, now I knew this was coming because I've read all this stuff reading through the United Nations for years. And I said years ago, eventually they'll do away with pedophilia altogether and that they are going to do that. There's no doubt about it. It says here in a campaign disturbingly close to advocacy of child sex, the International Planned Parenthood Foundation, which advocates sexual rights for all, has created a young people's guide in conjunction with its official declaration urging recognition of evolving capacities for sexual pleasure, it says, in all children and young people. The organization headquartered in London has posted online a document titled Exclaim, Young People's Guide to Sexual Rights. And the International Planned Parenthood Federation declared, uh, which proclaims that sexual rights for youth must be guaranteed so that all young people around the world will be able to explore, experience and express their sexualities in healthy, positive, pleasurable and safe ways. So just as controversial, it also advances as a fundamental goal the removal of parental involvement or spousal consent laws that prevent young people from seeking sexual and reproductive health services. Declaring that all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. Well, really, you know, what a joke that is. The document adds, therefore, all young people should be able to exercise and fulfill their rights equally, including sexual rights. Barriers must be removed so that everyone, especially marginalized and underserved groups, can enjoy all human rights. Skirting the universal concept of an age of consent, which they do, by the way, they just want, they want it dropped. I think in some countries it's 18, but they want it dropped. They don't mention drop to what? So they want it right down to, well, the babies, of course. It says the organization instead cites the evolving capacities of children for sexual pleasure, deeming all youngsters' ability to make decisions about their sexuality and to have these decisions respected based on each young person's evolving capacities. The Planned Parenthood also contends that young people have a right to meaningful participation in the planning, implementation and evaluation of all sexual health and rights services, programs and policies, which is basically communism because you're paying for all. Shockingly, it, it repeatedly advocates for sexual experiences for children. All people under 18 years should enjoy the full range of human rights, including sexual rights. All, all children under 18. To 18 to what? 
the importance and relevance of some rights uh, change changes a person transitions from infancy to childhood to adolescence. Therefore, the, the rights of children and youth must be approached in a progressive and dynamic way. From infancy to childhood to adolescence. So I guess they want them to be diddled from infancy on all the way through here. Mind you, they love you know, Kinsey and all that. The document released in 2011 emphasized that sexuality and sexual pleasure are more important parts of being human for everyone, no matter what age, no matter if you're married or not, and no matter if you want to have children or not. Uh, governments and demands must uphold all people's sexual rights, including young people. International treaties and conventions, such as the Convention on the Rights of the Child and Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, are legally binding human rights inf- instruments. It makes some powerful advocacy tools to hold leaders accountable, it says here. So I'll put this up tonight and the links to their site for those who want to read the whole document for yourselves. And don't be surprised. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and tonight I'll put up two, the actual PDF, uh, or at least the site for Exclaim Young People's Guide to Sexual Rights, uh, right down to children and infants from the Plan- International Planned Parenthood Federation. It's a declaration, and of course they're a private organization, charitable, you understand, this, this getting laws drafted up and passed by what you think is your governments, because they're not your governments at all. They all have this, there's only one agenda in the world. It's a collective agenda. But I'll put this up tonight, and um, and you'll see everything go down the tube even further, which is fantastic for the ones who want to control the world, because there's so much fallout already. Never mind the cost of keeping all of this going and all the abortions that Planned Parenthood is responsible for, and we all pay for, and the teaching of all, all people, including children, that no one's responsible for their own actions. Uh, and so they have the chaos, and then we pick up the tab for all the chaos. And there's lots and lots of government agencies now uh, just blooming and flourishing because of all this kind of stuff going on. And that's totalitarianism. And that's why I said we come in, a form of communism for everyone else with a fascist elite at the top. I'll call them fascists to be polite, but I know who they are. And also an article here on um, has to do with... Uh, the birth rate, it says, it feels like only last year I read the, the same article, but it's a, a new one with the present statistics. The CDC, um, it's interesting, the CDC does the birth rate, you know, the Center for Disease Control. See, we're a, we're, we're a disease, apparently, you know. It says that the birth rate hits all-time low. 40.7% of babies born today are from unmarried women. And it says... Uh, the birth rate in the United States hit an all-time low in 2011, according to a report released this month by the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So that's what they're for, for preventing us from spreading, you see, people. And it says, the 2011 preliminary number of the U.S. births was 3,953,593, 1 percent less. Uh, or 45,793 fewer births than in 2010. The general fertility rate at 63.3 per 1,000 women aged 15 to 44 years declined to the lowest rate ever reported for the United States, said the report. More than 40% of all babies born in the country last year, the report said, were born to unmarried women. 
while the overall birth rate declined to a record low. The birth rates for women in the 35 to 39 and 40 to 44 age groups actually increased from 2010 to 2011. Amongst all women in the U.S., including those as young as 10 and as old as 54, the birth rate declined from 64,100,000 in 2010 to 63.2 per 100,000 in 2011. And then you'll see all the different charts and graphs and all the rest of it to show you how it's fallen. And uh, mind you, you're all paying for it all because most of it's abortion, you see. Uh, that's the name of the game today. Mind there's also economic factors as well because they've said that and how do we, how do we put people off from having children? Well, the easiest way is economic factors, easiest way of all. And abortion becomes a, a, a state-paid alternative. And uh, there you go, bingo. So everything's working out as planned, of course. And that's exactly what, how it is. It's actually all planned. And also, this article here is to do with... Um, it's actually a, a John Pilger uh, article. He's a strange fellow, Pilger. He's, he's always at all the left-wing rallies and stuff. He's definitely been all across the whole world. He puts a lot of good stuff out on how third world countries are exploited by the big corporations. Uh, and big corporations use private military forces to go and take them over and throw folk over. CIA works with them too, of course, and the Mossad and MI6 and everybody else. This is the eager role of Julia Gillard. The Australian Parliament building reeks of uh, floor polish, and the wooden, wooden floors shine so virtuously they reflect the cartoon-like portraits of prime ministers, bewigged judges, and viceroys. Along the gleaming white hush corridors, the walls are hung with Aboriginal art. One painting after another is in a monolithic ga- gallery, uh, divorced from their origins. The iron, the irony, brutal. It says the poorest, sickest, most incarcerated people on earth provide a facade for those who oversee the theft of the land and its plunder. Australia has 40% of the world's uranium, all of it's on indigenous people's lands, as the native people. Prime Minister Julia Gillard has just been to India to sell uranium to a government that refuses to sign the, non, uh, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty and whose enemy Pakistan is also a non-signatory. The threat of nuclear war between them is constant. Uranium is an essential ingredient of nuclear weapons. Gillard's deal in Delhi formally ends the Australian Labour Party's long-standing policy of denying uranium to countries that reject the NPT's obligation to pursue negotiations in good faith on effective measures relating to cessation of the nuclear arms race at an early date and to nuclear disarmament. Well, why doesn't NATO go and bomb Australia? I mean, isn't that the whole con about Iran? Yeah? Why, or why don't they go off to bomb Australia for giving this stuff to India, who hasn't signed the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty? <laughs> Iran did sign it, by the way. Anyway, like the people of Japan, Australian Aborigines have experienced the horror of nuclear weapons. During the 50s, the British government tested atomic bombs at Maralinga in South Australia. The Aboriginal population was not consulted, they didn't tell them anything, and received scant or no warning, and still suffered the effects. Yami Lester was a boy when he saw the nuclear flash, and subsequently went blind. The enduring struggle of Aboriginal people for recognition as human beings has been a fight not only for their land, but for what lies beneath it. Since they were granted a status higher than that of sheep up to 1971, unlike the sheep, they were not counted. Many of their uh, modest land rights have been subverted or diminished by governments in Canberra. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting in through the Matrix, talking about life as it really is, and getting under all the the covers of Newspeak, with Newspeak and Doublespeak and all kinds of speak, except true speak anymore. But uh, And everything's put up by the media, it's, it's got a spin, I don't care what you read, it's got a spin on it. But it, it says here, how did, this, how did they get the land off of the Aboriginals in Australia that were there on by treaty? Well, the same way they did in Canada, you know, I suppose. This isn't, it says here, in 2007, Prime Minister John Howard used the army to launch an emergency intervention in Aboriginal communities in the resource-rich Northern Territory. Lured and fraudulent stories of pedophile rings were the cover. Indigenous people were told they would not receive basic services if they did not surrender the leasehold of their land. Gillard's Minister of Indigenous Affairs has since given this the Orwellian title of typically Stronger Futures. Get them off the land. Stronger futures. Isn't that stuff you read from the United Nations all the time? The tactics include driving people into hub towns and denying decent housing to those forced to live up to a dozen in one room. The removal of the Aboriginal children has reached the level of the infamous stolen generation of the last century. Many may never see their families again. That's happening all over the world, though, and all kinds of people. And all kinds of families. Once intervention had got underway, hundreds of licenses were granted to companies exploring for minerals. So they took the land off the Aboriginals under this guise, and then they started handing out licenses to the big boys, including uranium. Contemporary politics in Australia is often defined by the power of the mining companies. When the previous Labour Prime Minister Kevin Rudd proposed a tax on record mining profits, he was deposed by a backroom party cabal, including Gillard, who reduced the tax. Diplomatic cables obtained by the WikiLeaks reveal that two of the plotters against Rudd were informants from the U.S. Embassy, which Rudd had angered by not following to the letter U.S. plans to encircle China and to release uranium for sale to U.S. clients such as India. Gillard has since returned Australia to its historic relationship with Washington, similar to that of an Eastern European satellite of the Soviet Union. The day before Barack Obama arrived in Canberra last year to declare China the new enemy of the free world, Gillard announced the end of her party's ban on uranium sales. Washington's other post-Cold War obsessions demand the services of Australia. These include the intimidation of Iran and destruction of the country's independence, that country's independence, undermining of the NPT and prevention of nuclear-free zones that threaten the nuclear-armed dominance of the U.S. and Israel. Unlike Iran, a founding signatory of the Non-Proliferation Treaty and supporter of a nuclear-free zone, Middle East, the U.S. and Israel ban independent inspections, and both are currently threatening to attack Iran, which, as a combined agency of the U.S. intelligence confirmed, has no nuclear weapons. It doesn't really matter. See, the ones who run America have a conflict of interest, and people should look into it as to where their allegiances happen to lie. It says, the necessary inversion of reality and double standards requires a carefully orchestrated process, the U.S. Embassy is assured by an Australian official quoted by WikiLeaks. According to the U.S. cables, there are enthusiastic Australian ideas for dredging up information to help discredit Mohammed El Baridi, who, as director of the International Atomic Energy Agency from 1997 to 2009, repeatedly refuted U.S. claims that Iran was building a nuclear weapon. 
the director of the Australian Arms Control Office, is portrayed as a U.S. watchdog, warning against a slippery slope of governments exercising independent judgment on nuclear matters. A senior Australian official, one Patrick Suckling, is reported as telling the U.S. that Australia wants the most robust robust, intrusive and debilitating sanctions possible against Iran. Suckling's victims are today's most ordinary men, women and children. So Suckling's no sucker. He'd be a, by mate suck. He'd be more of an ass licker, I think. On the 5th of October, the Australian Nuclear Free Alliance, which includes Aboriginal groups from across the country, Gard and Alice Springs, they call for a moratorium on all uranium mining and sales. Indigenous women had made a special plea to Gallard, recently ordained by the white media as a feminist hero. No response was expected. On 17th October, all the testaments of obedience and servility to the mighty patron finally paid off for Australia was rewarded with a non-permanent seat on the United Nations Security Council, known in Canberra as the top table. The, The timing is striking. An attack by NATO on Syria or Iran or both has never been closer. Our world's war beckons as 50 years are marked since the world stood still, wrote the historian Sheldon Stern. This was the 1962 Cuba missile crisis when the US and Soviet Union came within an ace of nuclear war. Declassified files disclose that President Kennedy authorized NATO aircraft with Turkish pilots to take off for Moscow and drop a bomb. The echo today could not be clearer, it says here. So I'll put this up tonight too for those who want to know what really goes on behind the scenes. And at least uh, what we find from this particular John Pilger, he tends to give you a bit more than the general media is ever going to tell you because it's all controlled. That's the unfortunate part with mainstream media. It's all controlled. You understand propaganda is not aimed at your enemies so much as all of you. And it's designed by your own governments and the specialists they have on board, these armies of marketers and behaviorists and all that, to fool you, to get you to go along with whatever your government's up to. And it's never the truth of what they tell you. Never the truth. Never, ever, ever the truth. And this article, too, is interesting because it was a mentally, mentally handicapped woman in the States. I'm sure everybody's read it already by now, but it says that uh, in Nevada, the, the life of an 11-week-old un, uh, unborn baby and the future of his uh, or her 32-year-old mother hang in the balance as a judge considers whether or not to order the woman to undergo an abortion and sterilization against her will. So it says, Elisa Bauer, who suffers from the severe mental and physical disabilities attributed to fecal alcohol syndrome, is currently in the first weeks of her first trimester. The second oldest of six children adopted by William and Amy Bauer in 1992. Elisa has epilepsy and is said to have a mental and social capacity of a six-year-old child. Well, that's not the point. You see, they're willing to adopt this child that is born, but here's the judges now taking over and trying to um, order it be aborted which will be the first for quite a few years, you're back to the old days of sterilizing the unfit as well and aborting their offspring. So, you know, they're right back where they want us. Nobody will care these days. You know, nobody will really care these days. I mean, it's a common occurrence, isn't it? If you look at the chimneys of the hospitals you pass by in all the little towns and cities, what well, do you think they're all smoking there? Daily. But I'll put that up tonight. Now, Euro chiefs are set to grant Greece an extension. <laughs> this, this has been going on for years now, eh? Amid squabbles as they keep getting countries to borrow money from the central bank 
to lend to Greece or give to Greece as a grant to keep them afloat. And the only ones who are profiting from all are the bondholders. They're the same guys who own the central banks. It's a fantastic merry-go-round, this circle of conology. And we're taught in this day and age this is the best they can do with their experts. You understand, it's not experts at all. It's a full-blown con, just like the carbon tax is a con. You know, a, a, a very tiny little gas, one of the minor gases, we're going to get taxed into the graves big time and controlled big time because of carbon. That's always there. We're carbon-based creatures, for goodness sake. And this article, too, is about some, it's quite good, it's about some organic foods. It says, many political supporters of genetically engineered foods are feasting on organics while promoting unlabeled GE foods for everyone else including Mitt Romney, President Obama, and former Presidents George W. Bush and Bill Clinton. It's all the ones at the top eat natural food, real food, as opposed to this unnatural stuff that's pesticide-soaked and it's modified with goodness knows how many genes. It says, at present, the race is neck-to-neck between Romney and Obama in terms of not doing anything to protect or promote safer, more healthful Organic foods. Organic is just a new name for normal food for average Americans. Instead, both of them, while on organic diets themselves, promote untested foods for the masses. According to a former White House executive, Laura Bush was adamant in all cases, if an organic product was available, it was to be used in place of non-organic product. And Mitt Romney's wife, Anne, has publicly credited a combination of organic foods and holistic medicine for turning her health around after she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 1998. In a 2008 interview, Michelle Obama is quoted as saying, you start reading the labels and you realize there's high fructose corn syrup and everything. Everything that's in a bottle or package is like poison in a way that most people don't even know. While Obama's appear well informed about the health dangers of processed foods in general, and GE foods especially, their personal belief system is not filtered into the food policies that affect the rest of the population, on the contrary, the president's appointed a number of former Monsanto employees into key federal positions that wield near-absolute power over agricultural issues while ignoring his pre-election promise to immediately label GE Foods once elected into office. Now, it's not going to happen because the big companies, Monsanto and all the rest of them, there's lists out there how much many millions they've given to fight labeling on the foods. And it's not just politics. There's one agenda. And when the big lucky club, Gene Club, got together last time, Rockefeller and so on, they, they went off from passive um, population condu- uh, control into they want rapid population reduction. Rapid. What do you think rapid population reduction means? I mean, come on. What do you, what do you think out there? Are they going to ask for volunteers? No, of course not. They never do. They simply do things to you. And that's why you're getting cancers and all the rest of it. And goodness knows how many... Uh, autoimmune uh, problems as well and massive allergies they know all of this stuff this is all done on purpose folks I said years ago when you bring in people from the military industrial complex scientists that work on creating ways to kill folk and you give them permission like Monsanto to start making your food you've got a big problem and I shouldn't have to say that to you (laughs) but that's what's happening that's what's happening also, it says in this article here, today the American Freedom Law Center, AFLC, 
filed a petition for a writ of certiorari in the United States Supreme Court, asking the court to review an appellate court decision which held that several Michigan pastors and a family values advocate lacked standing to challenge the constitutionality of the federal hate crimes law, which criminalizes so-called bias crimes motivated by a person's actual or perceived sexual orientation or gender identity. Violators of the act are subject to 10 years in prison, so they're challenging it, it seems, but they're not going to get anywhere. This is the end of the First Amendment, and that's what it was there to do, destroy the First Amendment. Once you destroy it for one reason, you can just add to it for all the rest, you see. That's how they've always done it, these boys at the top. This has been a revolutionary group that's been down through the centuries working on all of this throughout the present time. And none of them are poor folks, just the opposite. They're the richest people on the planet. <laughs> Life is cheap today, and that's the message. You've been taught that you're living under an authoritarian society now, and more so since 9-11 happened. And that's what the Club of Rome said too. We've got to teach the people to live in an authoritarian society and to be obedient to authority. And the democracy wouldn't work with so many conflicting parties and competing parties and special interest groups. They knew that because they helped create all these special interest groups. Now, and life is cheap. That's a big, big message. You start with abortion, then you always go, I said this, then you go for the elderly. Because it's all economics, you see. The value of life. When you say at the top of the value of life, you're talking about a different thing than they are. You're talking about economics. And profits. You see? And for everyone that you treat that's not working now, then they see that as a loss. And the United Nations itself says that a good global citizen is a producer and consumer. You ought to be both. When you're just a consumer, when you're retired, then you're not a good global citizen. You see? So life is cheap. The majority of the National Health Service hospitals in England and America, you better listen to this one, are being given financial rewards for placing terminally ill patients on a controversial pathway to death that can be disclosed. So the government's now paying hospitals that are keeping quotas and upping their quotas to follow government guidelines. They kill them off. They're getting financial rewards for killing folk. And it says after about two-thirds of National Health Service trusts using Liverpool Care Pathway have received bailouts totaling millions of pounds for hitting targets related to its use. Research for the Daily Telegraph shows. The figures obtained under the Freedom of Information Act reveal the full scale of financial inducements for the first time. This suggests that about 85% of trusts have now adopted the regime, which can involve the removal of hydration and nutrition from dying patients. More than six out of ten of those trusts, just over half of the total, have received or are due to receive financial rewards for doing so, amounting to at least £12 million. And um, says, in many hospitals, more than 50% of all patients who died had been placed on the pathway, and in one case, the proportion of foreseeable deaths on the pathway was almost nine out of ten. Late last night, the Department of Health insisted that the payments could help ensure that people were treated with dignity in their final days and hours. They leave them lying in urine and feces. They don't feed them. They don't give them water. And actually, they'll give them pills, too, to their die. I know they give them pills because I've got information here on this. In fact, the nurse can hand them out to them without the patient wanting them. This is how cheap life is getting. 
It says, opponent, opponents described it as absolutely shocking that hospitals could be paid to employ potentially lethal treatments. Do they really mean they're shocking? Who's shocked these days? The LCP was originally developed at the Royal Liverpool University Hospital and the city's Marie Curie Hospice to ease suffering and dying patients, setting out principles for how to be treated. It involves the withdrawal of treatments or tests from patients which doctors believe could cause distress and do more harm than good. Protocols say that doctors should consult the patient if possible and their families. But they're putting the people on the list without telling them, by the way. The system has been marred in controversy and it claims that it can actively hasten death. That's the whole purpose of it, is to hasten the death. They might live for a long time afterwards. They're told not to resuscitate. Even if they do, then the person might live a few years more elsewhere, but me back home. doesn't matter. They want you dead. A series of cases have also come to light in which family members said they were not consulted or even informed when food and fluids were withheld from their loved ones. In some instances, patients placed on the pathway because doctors judged that they were nearing the end of their life uh, went on to recover. According to a response from a sample of 72 trusts, at least £12.4 million has been paid out in the past two to three years to trusts which hit targets associated with use of the pathway, but the full figure could be more than £20 million. Under a system known as Commissioning for Quality and Innovation, local National Health Service commissioners pay trusts for meeting targets to reward excellence in care. Well, it's not, that's true that excellence are killing them off. I mean, they do an excellent job of it. These can range from simply recruiting a set number of people to classes to help them to stop smoking to provide specialist end-of-life services on wards such as LCP. So, you know, there's not much to say, folks, these days, you know. It's, this war has had its effect on everyone, and most don't even know it. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix and we've all seen many cases where big industry pulls out of your area and leaves a massive toxic waste and then the taxpayers left to clean it up. That's the deal that governments have with the big businesses, you see, in reality. And the Greens are always quiet about it too, strangely enough, isn't it? But it says that North Carolina's community's water contaminated with toxic chemicals for six years and no one told them. The town of Wake Forest, North Carolina, is in an uproar after learning the state officials knew their water was contaminated with the toxic chemicals and waited for more than six years. It makes me feel horrible, the town resident Michelle Hamilton says, about unknowingly giving her children the toxic tap water. And it says, the Environmental Protection Agency told families just this past summer that their water is contaminated with the cancer-causing chemical trichloroethylene, or TCE, and to not drink, bathe, or cook with the polluted stew. But they should have told them this years ago, right? Like, well, see, we're all expendable now, actually, aren't we? And there's a video with this, too, and it says... Um, I remember when, they were, when we got the phone call, we were on vacation the summer of the family, Hamilton says, and he says what happened and how they all got utterly terrified to realize they'd all been drinking this. This is really highly toxic stuff too. This is a degreaser, very potent degreaser, cheap to make and has been dumped. And apparently it was some company that was there. There'd been circuit boards that's pulled up and left and uh, nothing will happen except to say the taxpayers will have to go in and bail them out. 
And then Britain's, Britain's so, it's a great country for immigrants to go to. It's been advertising for 40, 50 years. It's the best welfare state on the planet. And it works awfully well that way too. They actually call it, uh, uh, cruising, cruising for the best places to live in. And lots of articles about it. And, uh, for, for all kinds of refugees and so on. But here's how Britain is now. Street lights are turned off in their thousands to meet carbon emission targets. This is, this is a, a prototype for the planet, remember. Huge swaths of Britain are being plunged into darkness as more and more street lights are switched off by councils and road authorities. Uh, lights are being turned off in the motorways and major roads in town centres and residential streets and footpaths and cycleways such as councils try to save money on energy bills and meet carbon emission targets. I mean, you really need carbon emission targets, don't you? It's amazing how, you know, how God speaks things into existence and they're still speaking them into existence. Carbon taxes, you know. Carbon is a problem. And it becomes something real and solid in your mind. It's all a farce. And that's our farce. For a completely different reason, by the way, than they tell you. And, and here it is. You just keep repetition, repetition, repetition. And Britain really needs it when they can't even afford There's folk dying in their homes because they can't afford heating. But that's okay. Let's get my carbon tax as well. It says they're making the move despite concerns for safety campaigners and the police that would lead to an increase in road accidents and crime. The full extent that the blackout can be disclosed following an investigation by the Sunday Telegraph, which comes on, comes on the day that the clocks moved back an hour, making it dark early in the evening, and found that 3,080 miles of motorways and trunk roads in England are now completely unlit. A further 47 miles of motorway now have no lights between midnight and 5 a.m., including one of Britain's busiest stretches of the M1 between Luton and Milton Keynes. And it says, uh, of 134 councils which responded to the survey, 73% is switched off or dimmed some lights or are planning to. So, there you are, we're going back to the dark ages, thanks to carbon taxes. There's an utter con for the richest people on the planet and to completely alter your way of living by government agencies teaching you, reteaching you how to live in austerity, but you'll have happy well-being with the aid of cheap pills. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>